right. Let's pray for everybody who's sick. I'm a little congested myself, but don't have the luxury to call in sick today. So there's a lot of people that I know are sick. And so uh, they couldn't be here. As you can, I sound like I work for AT&T over the phone. <laughs> but we're going to do what we got to do. The Lord is good. Right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for, you know, we've been talking about lately heaven. And one of the wonderful things about that conversation is the reality of it being our destination. And even though heaven is about being in your presence, part of being in your presence is that we don't have these types of sicknesses anymore. These consist of what you call the former things that will have passed when we get to eternity. So Lord, I thank you for that that's a reality. Lord, I pray that everyone that's watching at home that's not feeling well, that they are able to still honor you because ultimately this is a temporary reality for us. Lord, I pray that you allow me through this congestion to get through and communicate this word that I felt like you gave to me to share this morning. And I pray, Lord, that those who are watching at home and those who are here present, as Rachel said, we're not impressive, but today may we be impressed by you. May we be impressed by your glory, for your glory and our good. In your name we pray, amen. So this might be the only message that you all see me grab a tissue. If I do, don't be mad. It's just, it is what it is. All right, so on many bumper stickers across the country and out of the lips of many Christians, you will hear, Jesus is the reason for the a very popular phrase for the Christian. I, I, I like the phrase a little bit. I like it because it, I like the phrase because it's, it's a good way to distinguish the happy holidays time of the year from the Merry Christmas and Santa Claus to I'm worshiping Jesus. So Jesus is the reason for the season is a very good statement as it pertains to explaining to people who are usually not Christians why you love this particular time of year. But for those of us who are Christians, Christmas is not a season. Christmas is a decision. It's not a season. It's a season in terms of end of the year, winter, the most wonderful time, all of that, right? In that sense, it's a season. But for us, those of us who believe in Jesus, Christmas is a decision. It's a decision. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the decision 
made by God for Jesus to be born as a baby, the manger and all of that means. Today, most people will focus on what is called the nativity scene and talk about the birth of Christ. They'll read from Luke and so forth, and we've done that. It's hard, I'll tell you what, it's hard as a pastor to preach a theme that happens every year. Easter and Christmas happen every year. And we always like, we don't want to preach the same thing every year. But we're also not trying to be so impressive that we don't hit what's necessary. But it's a challenge. So today, be warned, we're not looking at the baby in the manger. We're looking at the decision that Jesus made to become the baby in the manger. And what does all of that mean for us? To do that, we're going to start by looking at the longest recorded prayer that Jesus prayed to the Father that we have in the Bible from John 17. We're going to read these 26 verses and then look at a theme that Jesus brought up on three particular occasions that will help us see that Christmas is not a season, it's a decision. Beginning in verse 1 of John 17, just to be just so you have context, John 1 through 19, Jesus is praying to the Father for the disciples. Verses 20 to 26, Jesus is praying for the disciples in this room and all the people that would believe the message of him from the disciples, the original 11 or 12 if you add Paul because Judas doesn't count. Beginning in verse 1 of John, which is typically called the high priestly prayer, here's what Jesus, here's what it tells us. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you have given them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one, while I was with them. I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you. <clears throat> and these things I speak of the world, speak in the world that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. Verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am out of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 
Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. Beginning of verse 20, he prays for us. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even as you loved me. Love them even as you love me. Father, verse 24, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you and these know that you have sent me, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. There is a theme that Jesus mentioned multiple times in this prayer that we are going to key in on. We're going to look at three times in this particular prayer where Jesus mentions glory. Why does he talk so much about glory? What glory is Jesus talking about? There are three kinds of glory in this scene, in this prayer. The first glory is the glory that Jesus had. Look at verses 4 and 5 of John 17. Look what he says to the Father. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. There's a glory that Jesus had. There's another glory that Jesus said he gave. He gave. John 17, verses 20 to 22. Listen to what he says here, praying to the Father. This is about us. This is about us. I do not ask, verse 20, for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Right? So he's not just praying for the 19, the, the, the 11, but those who believe the gospel through the proclamation of their word. So he's talking about everyone who's a genuine believer in this room. He's saying that his prayer is that we would all be one, just as he and the Father are one, and that the world may believe that Jesus was sent because we are one. Then he says in verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. What glory is Jesus talking about? We're thousands of years removed. So what glory could he possibly have given to us? Then there's another glory that he says, the glory that he currently has. He's looking forward to another glory in verse 24 of John 17. He says, his father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, speaking of us, he's already prayed for the disciples, speaking of us, 
I desire that they also, whom you have given me, they may be with me where I am. For what purpose? To see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. He didn't say to see the glory that I had before the foundation of the world. He just said, the glory, I want them to see my glory because you've loved me before the foundation of the world. So this glory is not the glory that he had before the foundation of the world, but the glory that he has after it. What glory is he talking about? Today we're going to look at the Christmas story, Jesus becoming a human being from the viewpoint of his decision to leave glory, to give glory, and then to share glory. Christmas is not a season. It's a decision. So first, what is glory? Let's let's define that. Well, in the original language the Bible is translated from the Greek, the word doxa is what glory means, and it means a lot of things. Glory, biblically speaking, can mean, it's a range that means praise, honor, extol, clothe in splendor, glorify, imagine, suppose, expecting, to praise, to glorify, to make glorious, to adorn with luster, to celebrate, to exalt, to be wonderful. Means a lot. Glorified means praise, honor, clothing, splendor. It's something that you do. Jesus said that he had glory. John 17, verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. What glory is that? Well, in the New Testament, Hebrews 1.3 gives us a quick snapshot. Here's Hebrews 1.3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So here it tells us he is the radiance. He is the visual representation of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature. This is why Jesus said, what you talking about, show us the Father. If you see me, you see the Father. Says he upholds the universe through his power. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 gives us another brief snapshot of this glory. Beginning in verse 15 of Colossians 1, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, talking about supernatural entities that are evil, saying all these things were created. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So we get another snapshot of this glory of Jesus. And remind you that this is written talking about the human Jesus, wanting them to understand that the human Jesus that was crucified, that they believe in, is is equal to the God Yahweh that is all-powerful, unchangeable, immovable, unstoppable. That's what they want them to know. Jesus said this in John 8, 56 to 58, arguing with the Pharisees. My, my single favorite chapter in the whole, I love John 8. It's my favorite chapter in the Bible because Jesus is just carrying the Pharisees. It's like he's from the DMV. 
And he says this, your father, verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That language was used in Exodus 3 when, when Moses was like, well, who do I tell Pharaoh sent me? He said, tell him I am sent you. You know what I am means? I am is this, um, I exist. There's no I was, I began, it's I am. That's it. Like I don't have a beginning or an end. That's what I am means. I don't have a beginning or an end. This is my name. I've always existed. Tell him that. When you go to Pharaoh, say, who told me I, the, the one who's always existed? You were created. You have an origin story. He does not. His name is I am. I am what? Always here. <laughs> These are all statements that elevate his pre-existing identity. But the language is present tense. It's who he is. Jesus said he had glory, past tense. So what glory is that that he left? Let's go to Isaiah 6. Let's get a picture of what that glory looked like. Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. Verse 1, it says this. In the, king, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. Now just imagine that for a second. For those of you who are like more image driven, let's imagine this. He sees the Lord on a throne. Right? And to make sure that there's plenty of thrones. There have been kings, humanly speaking, that people... So he makes a distinction about this throne. So first he starts with the throne. This is a king. I'm looking at a king. But the throne is high and lifted up. So it's not just any throne. It's high and lifted up. This throne is big and it's up. It's above every other throne. That's the point he's making. It's high and lifted up. And then there are these creatures that have six wings that fly around him on this throne. And they have two wings that fly Two cover their eyes, two cover their feet. So this Lord sitting on the throne is so dynamic that the creatures that are allowed to fly around him can't look at him. They're not allowed to look at him. They can't even have their feet get close to him. He told Moses, take your sandals off. You're standing on holy ground and that was dirt. Now you're standing in the holy presence. You can't, your feet can't even be around me. So you can't look at me, nor can you stand anywhere in my presence. Just fly. Just fly. Verse 3. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That's all they can do. They can't even look at him. The, the ironic part is Isaiah is describing this. So Isaiah is describing what these creatures could not describe because they're not allowed to look at them. Mm -mm. Verse 4, the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. 
and the house was filled with smoke. This is the smoke nobody wants. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King of the Lord of hosts. He can't look at God and not instantly realize I'm sinful. Creatures created by God to worship him are not allowed to look at him. They just fly, at least these, the seraphims. And they just yell out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. It says in verse 1, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So the hem of the robe, the bottom of the robe, it filled the temple. And he's high and lifted up. So this is Jesus is huge. If you're, if you're a Marvel fan, it's like looking at Galactus. And his robe is just in the bottom of the temple. God is showing us his glory, the magnitude of it. But it doesn't end here. But this is a small snapshot of the glory Jesus had before coming to earth. Ezekiel 1, beginning in verse 22 through 28. Listen to this description. If you haven't read this recently. This is what he says, verse 22. So we're going to start with him describing, this is Ezekiel again, another prophet allowed to see things that even some of the creatures who are with God are not allowed to see. Here's what Ezekiel says in verse 22. Over the heads of the living creatures, there was the likeness of an expanse, shining like awe-inspiring crystal spread out above their heads. And under, their, under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight, one toward another. And each creature had two wings covering its body. And they went, and I heard the sound of their wings like the sound of mighty waters, like the sound of the Almighty, a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army. These are just their wings. So he's talking about when they flap. <laughs> if you like me, I grew up, right? So I used to watch like the, uh, the Godzilla movies. Back when I was a kid, I used to watch all of them, the Kung Fu joints, all of it. If you're from this area, you watched all of it, right? And there was this creature that used to fight Godzilla called Rodan. And Rodan was like this big pterodactyl, right? And whenever he would come, he would just knock over buildings. That's how you knew he was coming. It just got real windy. He's describing this. These creatures that are flying are like an army marching every time their wings are. This is how powerful God is. And he said this in verse 25. And there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads. When they stood still, they let down their wings. And above the expanse over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne. In appearance like sapphires. And seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward, upward from what? From what had the appearance of his waist, so this is upward, from the waist up, I saw as it were gleaming metal. The appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward, from the waist down, what had the appearance of his waist. I saw there was the appearance of fire, and there was brightness around him. 
like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of the rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. So an expanse is like a, like a, almost like a metal plate, but he describes it as crystal. So there's like this crystal, beautiful like wall where these creatures are flying below. But then he hears a voice that's on top of that, that's above that place. See, that, that expanse is like, you all are down here, and I am up here. He says, a voice was heard. He used the word likeness on a couple of occasions. The likeness of a throne. The likeness with human appearance. The likeness. The reason why he's saying that is because he can't really describe what it is, and likeness is, this is the best description I can give you. It looks like this. It's the best description I can give you. It's the light. It's as close to this is what it looks like. It's close to a throne as I can see, but it's, it's something different than a throne. But this is the likeness. This is the, this is the best description I can give you. And on the throne, there was the likeness with the human appearance. I don't know what this do, but he looked at the, the best I can tell you was there was somebody sitting on a throne that looked a little bit like a human. But there's no human that is gleaming metal with fire all around him. And the waist down, brightness, fire shooting out from the throne. Sapphire, beautiful imagery. He's saying, man, this is the light, this is the best I can, I can describe. From the waist up, gleaming metal, fire all around. From the waist down, brightness all around. He said it was the likeness of the glory of God. This is like, this is the closest I can explain to what the glory of God may look like. This is what Jesus, the glory Jesus had before he left earth. When Jesus says, glorify me with the glory I had before the, before the world existed, this is what he looked like. This was his presence. In control of everything. You talk about sovereignty and being in control, but then complain about not getting things that we ask for. Like God is somehow like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't. Hold on, you're asking for too. Wait, let me just figure out what. This dude is sitting there with no challenges. No challenges. His own creatures can't look at him. And yet he made a decision to become a human being so that you and I will spend all eternity being able to look at him. These creatures, the seraphim, cannot look at him. But you and I, we get to see him. Christmas is not a season. It's a decision that he made to leave glory come to earth. Last scene from the Old Testament, because y'all still don't believe me. Y'all still don't believe me. Daniel 7, 9 through 14. The only time, the only time in a credible translation of the Bible that we get a picture of the Father and the Son. This is the only time. The only time that we get a picture, a description of the Father and the Son together in glory. It's the only scene. 
You only see. Beginning in verse 9 of Daniel 7. Four, five verses, 9 through 14. Here's what it says. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. That's the Father. The Ancient of Days. We need to sing that song. Y'all know that song? Blessings and honor, glory and power, be unto the end. Y'all know nothing about that. I was singing that on the way in. Y'all know nothing about that. He says that the Ancient of Days took his seat. Listen to how they describe him. And his clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. Pure wool. It's that good hair. This ain't that horse hair some people be going after. This is that good hair. That's a different conversation. I don't want to offend nobody. Merry Christmas. <laughs> I'm not feeling well. Don't make me laugh. The hair of his head was like pure wool. Listen to this. His throne was fiery flames. People wonder, why is hell going to be fire? Because it's an, ex it's an extension of who he is. His throne is fiery flames, so the judgment will be fire. That's the closest people in hell will get to seeing God is fire. It's the only connection. He said it, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousands times stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked in because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And he's talking about this, this beast. He's contrasting this horn that's speaking against and he's seeing the ancient of days. But then he goes to the son, Jesus, verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. Mind you, this is the only time the Jews have never, this was their Bible. This is the only time that they, they're, this is the first time they're realizing, wait a minute. Only, uh, up to this point, all they had was the angel of the Lord. They knew that there was an angel of the Lord that had the same authority as the Lord. But now, there's one who looks like a son of man who's on the clouds of heaven, and he comes to the Ancient of Days. The Ancient of Days to them would have been Yahweh, but now here's a son like, hold on. What is happening here? And to him, verse 14, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So we get a twofer. We get two descriptions. The Father, Ancient of Days, white as snow, representing just righteous purity, hair like wool, throne, throne of fiery flames, fire coming out of him. Daniel seeing the Judgment Day scene. Everyone's going to see that scene at one point. Every person will see the same scene that Daniel's talking about. But the Ancient of Days is sitting there, and the books were open, and he's reading. If your name is not in the right book, you won't be in the right place. And then he describes the sun, clouds of heaven, not these clouds, clouds of heaven. 
different texture, different beauty, different majesty. These clouds are for us to help us appreciate the artistry of God. The clouds of heaven, given dominion, glory, and the kingdom. All peoples and nations shall serve him. It's a comprehensive way of saying everyone will worship the Lord. Now, they may not give their life to him, but we know that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. In John 17, 4 and 5, this is just a small taste of the glory that Jesus had before the world existed. So when he prays, Father, glorify me with the glory I had before the world existed. This is what it looked like. This is what he looked like in heaven. This is the glory that Jesus left. He made a decision to leave a throne, riding on clouds, gleaming metal with fire, a body that cannot, is impenetrable to choose a body that can experience pain. He left all the power and majesty that he had, complete sovereign control. Preachers giving him nonstop worship. He left all of that, made a decision to be born as a frail baby in a manger whose own people don't trust him. He left all the glory of everything, every creature, anything he says happens on earth as it is in heaven. He left the beauty and the sovereignty of all things to become a baby in a manger. He was a real baby, so weak that they had to tell his earthly dad, Joseph, to take him to Egypt because Herod and them could kill him. The God who sits on a throne with gleaming metal from the body up had to be hidden in another country so that these people wouldn't kill him as a baby. This is the glory that Jesus had that he left by decision to become the reason for the season. Jesus said this in John 20, verses 22, when he was praying for us. He said this, and I do not ask for these only, speaking of the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And then he said this, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. And I asked the question, I ask it again. How could he have given us glory when we lived thousands of years after him? Jesus doesn't lie. He's not confused. He doesn't make mistakes. So there is a glory that he's saying he's given to us that is making us one as he and the Father are one. How is that possible because we live way after that. What glory did he give to us? What glory is making the Father and him one with us? The disciples, I get it, because he was with them. They saw him. But he's saying, the glory that you have given me, I've given to them, 
Them are the people who will believe through their word, the disciples' word. That they may be, so he's given us the glory, that we may be one even as he is one. What glory is that? This word game show, I'd love to hear your answers. Here's the glory. The glory, the glory that he gave us is the story of his life on earth. The glory is the story. He knew that all of us would not be around to see it. He knew that I'm going to come once, lay the foundation, and when I come back, I'm coming back to judge how people reacted to that foundation. He knew that the only way that we, people who would believe after he ascended, would be through trust and belief in what other people say. That the gospel over 2,000 years has gone forward based on people from all walks of life believing a story. And having so much confidence in a story that you believe that when you die, you're going to go to heaven even though you sin willfully. We're united by faith in a story. In four gospels, the letter that starts as a church, Acts, it's the glory of his story on earth. And our mutual faith and obedience to this story is what makes us united with him and with each other. This is why the Bible talks about unity so much among the church. Because when there's not unity, you can't be one. When there's complaining and arguing, bitterness, unforgiveness, you can't be one. Theologian D.A. Carson, one of my favorite theologians, said this about these three verses, John 17, 20 to 22. This is what he said. The glory that the Father gave the Son, he has transmitted to his followers. Exactly what is meant by these clauses is much disputed. Some of, some of this glory, that for which Jesus prays in verses 1 and 5, but makes verse 22 necessarily anachronistic. It means it can't be the same. It would be weird to say he's praying for the disciples, and then in verse 22, he's praying for the disciples again. That would be weird. It's basically what he's saying. He said, on the whole, it seems best not to take the them as a reference to the original disciples alone, but as a reference to all disciples, including those who will later believe through the witness of Jesus' first followers. If so, Jesus has given his glory to them in the sense that he is brought to completion his revelatory task. Glory commonly refers to the manifestation of God's character or person in a revelatory context. Jesus has mediated the glory of God personally to his first followers and through them to those who believe on account of their message. And he has done this all that we may be one as they are one. The glory is the story of Jesus denying himself the glory that he had, becoming like us to save us, 
so that we can imitate him, denying ourselves the glory of the sinful pleasures of this life to share his glory later in heaven. It's the model that we follow. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, very popular passage, makes this point. Listen to what it says. Verse 5, Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. In other words, think the way Jesus did. Think about your life the way Jesus thought about his, is what he's saying. Who, through, though he was in the form of God, though he was like God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So though he was like God, he did not think staying equal like God in full capacity was something that he would hold on to. But emptied himself, verse 7, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So instead of being, he was still fully God, but he would not allow himself to function as God because he became a human being. And for him to be a real human being, he couldn't demonstrate and maintain and use all of the powers that he had when he's sitting on a throne and gleaming metal. He can't do that. So he said, I'm going to give all that up and take on a body. The God who's never blinked now needs sleep. The God who created the nerve endings so that we could experience pain is going to experience pain. Verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has exalted him highly, has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. The glory that Jesus had in the past, his name was not Jesus. That's not who his, what his name was. That was a different glory. The glory that Jesus gave, the glory that he had, the decision he made to become a human being, that's Jesus. And so because he did that, that Jesus now becomes the name that is greater than every other name. He wasn't Jesus from eternity past. He was Jesus in A.D. whatever. This was a decision that he made, and the glory is the story. Let's look at a couple of scenes of the glory. Luke 1. Luke 2, beginning of verse 1. This is the popular thing to do, right? Those, in, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration for Quirinius, was governor of Syria. And all went to, the, to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. That's an important detail. There's no place for them in the end. So they were trying to have a baby. They go to the end, and they say, I'm sorry, we can't let you in. You can't have a baby here. You got to go somewhere else. 
Can you imagine going to the hospital? Those of you whose wives are pregnant and they say, I'm sorry, you got to go somewhere else. What? Those would be fighting words to you in a minute. You can't be here. The God who sits on the throne in gleaming metal, who's riding on the clouds, who's given all dominion and authority, who could have easily had the people be like, sure, we have a room waiting for you right here. Didn't do it. Shows up, can't be born here. You got to go out there to a manger where the animals are. He left all that glory to be born among animals. Couldn't even get a decent room. And it was his decision. Verse 8, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that there will be for all people. For unto you born it, and for unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the angel, and suddenly with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Remember, this is what happens in heaven. Right? This is an invasion of heaven into earth. This is what happens in heaven. This is not something anybody's seen in or on earth. And all of a sudden, these, these, these farmers are out there like, what is going on? Hey, turn that light off, man. I'm trying to sleep. That ain't my light, bro. And they walk outside and see these angels, and they're terrified. And after they say, no, a baby's been born, go check. And after that, more appear. More appear. And they cry out, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. You better be right. Nobody's going back home after that. And then they went with haste. You better be right. And found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying him and praising God. For they had all heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Jesus wanted the story of his birth to be known so that there would be no legitimate dispute of his leaving glory to glorify the Father by sharing that glory as a human being. You ever wonder, like, why don't we hear anything about Jesus' childhood? The last view we get is, like, Luke 3, like, when he was 12 years old. Where, what happened from 12 to 30? Why is that part gone? The birth is necessary, and then there's adulthood, but where is that part at? You know why it's absent? Because the glory of God wasn't obvious then. The glory was in the birth, a virgin birth, Angels show up, heaven invades earth, 
when we're talking about the glory of God, it's always going to be heaven invading earth. That's the glory of God. When that doesn't happen, then the glory of God isn't as known. It's not obvious. So from Jesus being 12 years old until he gets really baptized, the glory is not obvious. It's not really recognizable. So, and it's about the glory is the story, so there's no reason for God to tell us what he did at 15 and 16 because the glory wasn't obvious then. Once the glory becomes obvious, the story continues. Let me prove this to you. Let me prove it. Some of you always think I'm telling a joke. Let me prove this to you. All right? Merry Christmas. Listen to this. Matthew 13. We know this scene well. Remember this? Matthew 13, beginning in verse 53 through 57. This proves what I was just saying. Listen to this. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. You see what they're describing? We watched you grow up, fam. You weren't nobody special. Why are we, 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 this is the savior, him? His family lives around the corner. This dude fixed my son's desk when he was 17. It's, it's in good condition, but they're not in, they're like, what you talking about? You're the savior, you? This is the, you're the one? Where you getting all this stuff from? We watched you grow up. There was nothing special about you. The glory wasn't obvious then. So they're saying, I don't believe in you because I didn't see the glory that you're talking about now when you was growing up. We know your family. The glory wasn't obvious. But when heaven invades earth and the glory becomes obvious, the story picks up. So the birth, there was glory. There was angels. There was worship. The glory's not there in the... There was nothing going on. But then when the kingdom of heaven invades, when it's clear, that's where the glory shows up. And the story picks back up. So we see the glory in his baptism, right? Matthew 3, verse 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John and to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Can you imagine Jesus coming to you and saying, hey, baptize me? I'd have been like, nah, bruh. What are you doing? What are we talking about? Baptize you? Man, I, I'm, I can't even look at you. And he said, Jesus said, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. Look at that. Heaven invades earth. So the story picks back up. This is included in the glory of the story because heaven is invading earth now. And he saw the spirit of God. So here's a, here's a third person of the Trinity. Descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son. Here's the first person of the Trinity. So now you get the father, son, and the spirit invading heaven. So it's in the story. The story picks up because here we go. The spirit is here, heaven has invaded earth, and now I'm giving you the glory of God in the story so that you can believe. Christmas is not a season. It's a decision. The glory shows up first time. You see the Trinity in the New Testament show up all right here. Father, 
Son, Holy Spirit. Bam. The glory continues. We get Jesus being tempted by the devil. We get that in Matthew 4. Verse 1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Right? So here now we got the good versus evil. Right? The glory of God against the lack of glory of Satan. The creator against the uncreation. This is here because God is glorified. Now you have not just heaven invading earth, but the evil one is now coming to push back. So we're seeing it now. The glory is in the story because heaven has invaded earth. Verse 2, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the devil took him to a holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. He kept saying, if you are the son of God, because he wasn't sure how much Jesus really believed that he was. He was going after his identity. Jesus said to him, verse 7, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Heaven invading earth. That's the glory. The glory is in the story. It wasn't obvious when he was a kid, so God said, you don't need that information. You can speculate in shows like The Chosen. Have fun. But the glory is in the story, and so all the story that I'm giving you demonstrates God's glory. So the glory that he gave to us is the story. We have multiple miracles and feeding 5,000, walking on water, casting out demons, bringing people back from the dead, healing the blind and the sick. All of these are ways that Jesus glorified God because he was showing heaven invading earth. No one else is doing what I'm doing because I'm doing what the Father said. I'm glorifying the Father by displaying the glory of heaven that we are in complete and sovereign control. And so even if a man is born blind and is 40 years old, I can touch him and he can see. Even though it's windy and it's 4 a.m. in the morning, I can walk on the water and then sustain one of my disciples walking on the water. Even though 12,000 people are hungry, I can feed them with five loaves and two fish. Why? Because the glory of God has invaded the earth. And so it's a part of the story. This is why it's important that we read, because the glory is in the story. If you, are, if you have read too much that you are not impressed, then you haven't read deeply enough. What you mean you're not a reader? Listen to that thing on Audible or something. Well, I'm not a good reader. But you read your paycheck. You read people's stuff on Facebook. You read long text messages, be sending them 
going back in, adjusting them, fixing the typos, all of that. You read all of that. The glory is in the story. We participate in the glory and grow in becoming one with Jesus and the Father as we inundate ourselves with the story. We see his glory in Matthew 17. We see this right here after beginning verse 1. After six days, Jesus took him with Peter and James, took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led him up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. This is the only time Jesus allowed the glory that he had before the, the, the eternity passed that he left. He's letting them get a picture of it. Just so you all know, in case you thought that maybe I'm not who I said I was. Remember John the Baptist was like, are you the Messiah? Are we waiting for somebody else? In case you are tempted to think I'm not him, let's go to this mountain. Let me show y'all something real quick. Man, Lord, that's a long walk. My back hurts. I got you. Don't worry about it. Let me show you. That's what I would be saying. Dad, Lord, can I? Can you float me up there? I'm working on it. They get up to the top. So his face shone like the sun. First time they see his glory. And he was transfigured before them, verse 2. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared there to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. He didn't know what to say. He was just like, Lord, I, I don't, I, I, let me just build something. I'll just, I'm glad we're here, man. Let me just build. Can I build something? Can I do? He didn't know what to do. He was just in awe. I just, can I just build something for, I mean, who would think they, they're looking at Moses and Elijah, two heavyweights, that they would never think they would see ever. They're seeing them on this side of glory. They're not in heaven. Heaven invaded earth. The glory is in the story, so it's all there. Verse 5, he was still speaking when behold. So Peter is talking, and behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So now here comes the voice of the Father. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. Better learn to be terrified now. Better learn to respect them now. Because they were terrified. And these are people that have been walking with Jesus every day. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. He had to touch them. They, they weren't even looking up. They were so terrified. He had to touch them and be like, You good. You can stand up. Listen, th th here's the point. Look, and when they lifted up their eyes, that's a way of saying when they opened their eyes and looked at him. They saw no one but Jesus only. He gave them a glimpse of the glory he left to become a human being for them and for us. He gives us a glimpse. He gave them a glimpse. We know about the glory of the cross. We see that glory invading heaven, even in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, Jesus is praying, and his sweat becomes drops of blood. And then an angel comes to minister to him. Heaven invading earth. 
with the glory of the cross. Right before the cross in Matthew 26, 63 through 66, the Pharisees are arguing back with Jesus. And they say, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the, cloud of he- the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he is utter blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. Remember this language? Remember from Daniel 7, the son of man that was in front of the ancient of days that was riding on the clouds? Jesus is saying, you will see the son of man at the right hand of power coming on the clouds, saying, I am the son of man from Daniel 7 that is equal to God. And that's why they said blasphemy. He intentionally used the son of man language because he knew that they would react that way. Because they knew that it was Daniel 7 reference. But it was also a judgment against them. Because ironically, Daniel 7 is about the judgment day. So he brings them back to his pre-existing identity that's connected to judgment day. So that when they die and stand before him, they're going to be told, you had a chance to believe in the Son of Man, but you did not. And so now the judgment day connects and they did not make it. This is the glory that he gave. It's the story. We know the crucifixion. We know the ilahi, ilahi, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Heaven's invading earth. The God who's in gleaming metal, top to bottom, fire shooting out from above, from, from below him and above him. Creatures that created can't even look at him. And he allows wicked human beings to touch him, to take off his clothes and to, and to nail his flesh, enjoying their time. These creatures, holy creatures, aren't even allowed to look at him. Because he made a decision to let these unholy men touch him. He left the glory of riding on the clouds to walk on the dirt of the earth and to lay on a dusty, dirty wooden cross. That's the glory that Jesus said I gave to them. It's the story. It's the completion. This is why it's important that we're in the word. It's important why we prepare ourselves to come to church. Some of y'all be up to three, four o'clock at night on Saturday night, come to church and be falling asleep in the sermon. Be nodding off. But there's grace for that. Wake up. Fall asleep after church. In church, give God your attention because he gave you his life. That was the glory that Jesus had. It was the glory that Jesus gave. And then he prayed this about the glory that he has. Had, gave, has. 
Verse 24, John 17. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. So now here's the glory that he has after the cross. We know this scene well. Listen to this scene, Revelation 5. Look at this scene. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven heads. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Listen to the description. The lion of the tribe of Judah, right? The lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David. David was a militaristic king. So you got a lion, David, the king, the militaristic king. So here's the warrior of God has conquered. That's all warrior language so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So he says, don't worry. The warrior of God can open the scroll. Let's keep reading in verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you'd ransom people for God, for every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. It's important that you see the contrast in the description. The Lion of Judah, the Root of David, who conquered. But then when he looks at him, he sees a lamb who appears like he was slain. There is a being, and he doesn't identify him as Jesus, who he considered his best friend on earth. He describes him, the lion, the root of David who conquered, as a lamb who looks like he was murdered. That's who grabs the scroll. You know, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that we have a heavenly dwelling, a heavenly tent. And we call that a glorified body. The scripture teaches that when we die, that we'll have glorified bodies. And that's, that's amazing. So we'll be glorified in eternity, but Jesus was horrified. We're going to recognize him because he looks like he was murdered. His scars remain. Our scars are gone. 
We'll be amazed at our figures, but Jesus will look disfigured. Those scars are a part of his eternal identity. Jesus left the gleaming body to become a frail baby, a human being that experiences pain and suffering and then goes back to receive glory but keeps the pain and the suffering scars as connected to his eternal identity. Our scars will be gone. Our tears will be wiped away. We will have new figures. He looks different. He left unparalleled beauty to go back to glory to display undisputable suffering. He is not described in Revelation 5 the way he's described in Daniel 7. In Daniel 7, it's nothing about being slain. It's all power and majesty and might. But in Revelation 5, wow, he looks like a, a lamb that was murdered. In eternity, we'll have un- imperishable bodies. But Jesus' body looks perishable. We're going to know him because we're going to know, wow, that's what it costs. That's why they worship him. That's why we worship Jesus. Because he went from gleaming metal to a lamb that was slain. So that you and I can share in this glory. Christmas is not about a season. It's about a decision that Jesus made. Lastly, I'm going to end with this. Revelation 7. Beginning verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, white palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white? And from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. So I would have said, like, what you you mean? Who I don't know. I would have been like, man, I can't. Don't ask me nothing right now. I'm stuck. He was playing with them. Who are these people? He said, sir, you know who they are. Tell me, please. He said, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. 
He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. All sadness will be wiped away. The only scene of potential grief is the lamb that was slain. And none of us, not one person, will get there and see that and be in his presence and not realize how crazy it is that we're there with him. The glory is that we get to be co-heirs with Jesus. Today, many celebrate the baby that was born, and that's true. In reality, it's the God that chose to die. The glory to story to glory, reality is true. Christmas is not a season. It's a decision. So as you celebrate, you thank God for the gift. When you are eating with family and exchanging gifts and whatever you're doing. If you're my Latina brothers and sisters, Feliz Navidad. I know you're celebrating today. The rest of us, the 25th, we do tomorrow. I do a little bit of both. Voila. When we celebrate, we're excited. Remember what this really was, what this really is. It's a decision for Jesus to leave glory. Glory that he had to to give glory to us in this story where heaven invading earth and then to share that glory later. Let that motivate you to be alert in church. Let that motivate you to be on time. Let that motivate you to do. Let that motivate you to pray. Because none of us deserve any of it. But because he did this and we have faith in the story, we become the recipients of it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we, we are we're aware every year of this time frame. We're aware every, every April of, of Easter and the cross and the resurrection. It's an annual thing for us. And I'm, I'm grateful. Thank you that we have this reminder consistently. But part of the challenge is the, the over-familiarity of it becomes a problem because it's easy to just kind of say and do the same thing, sing the same song. But I pray, Lord, that you would help us see that the glory is the real issue. The glory that you had, that you left, the glory that you gave because you came, and the glory that you share because we believe. May this Christmas and every Christmas until we see you face to face be a reminder of a decision that you made to become a baby. You didn't just, you didn't just, be, you didn't, weren't just born that was a decision that was made before you were born. And we want to honor that decision. We thank you for that. I pray that you would allow us to enjoy our, our times together today and tomorrow with our family and friends. But Lord, when December 26th hits and 27th and as we move on away from the season of Christmas, may we never move on from the decision 
of Christmas that you made to begin with. Because that has, for those of us who truly believe in it, that has transformed our lives. And I pray that it continues to over and over and over again for your glory and our good. In your name we pray. Man, the Lord is good. Nobody knows nothing. I ain't, none of it. I was like, man, Lord, let me just get through it. Be answering prayer on the small stuff. Just grateful for that. Let's take communion. If you don't have it, you can go get that. We're not doing Q&A today. No Q&A today. Go enjoy your families. Well, for most of y'all, some of y'all don't do today. The Latinos, they celebrate today, so let them go enjoy their families. No Q&A today. Listen, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you can go get this. If you're not yet a believer, then we'd ask you to not take this. And it's really because Jesus said this is for those who are remembering his sacrifice. And not just I'm aware that it happened, but we remember it by the life that we live. We're not trying to live lives that are opposite of what Jesus commanded. And so this is really for those who are living, trying to live in honor of the Lord. This isn't trying to shame anyone. It's just... Every club has its rules, and God made the rules. And this is for those of us who are in the club of faith and obedience. Other than that, we're glad you came. If you're here, we'd love to talk to you afterwards. If you have time, any questions you have, I'll be here for a little bit. I'll be here as long as you need me to be for 20 minutes. <laughs> but this is a part of the, the, the glory of the story. This is the climax of the story for us that Jesus' body on the cross was a sacrifice. The reason why it's called the lamb that was slain, because that's exactly what he represented. The lamb, the pure lamb of the sacrifices in the Old Testament became the lamb of God in the New Testament. And his body was broken. And so this represents for us a reminder of that reality, a reminder that we don't worry. We're not into a season. We, we celebrate a decision, and every week we're reminded of that decision to have his body broken on the cross for our behalf. And so we eat this together as a reminder. And we drink this together as well. Unless you're one of those people that dipped your thing in and then drink. Somebody told me to do that. Try that because it's really dry the wafer. But I don't like the, it's not, I, I can't do it because I feel like I'm, it's like I'm, it just feels weird to me. Like, this isn't like a little, like a little, some finger food. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is the, can't do that. But I can eat this because it reminds me of his body broken. And I can drink this because it reminds me of his blood that was shed in vain. Father, thank you. Be glorified in what we sang, what we taught, what we did, what we chose not to do. May all these things be reflective of your glory that you share with us. That's your story that will be with you in eternity. Our bodies will be, we'll have new figures, but you'll look disfigured. And we'll worship you for that in every way, shape, and form forever. May each of us who genuinely believe in you persevere and trust in you. May we, and by doing that, may we fight the temptations of 
this world, may we imitate you by denying ourselves the glory of the pleasures of stuff that we like to do that doesn't honor you. May we do that in imitation of you who left the glory and the majesty and the power of heaven to become a lowly human being so that we can lead and imitate you and lead the glory and the power and the pleasure of sin to become humbled and lowly to return to you and share glory with you. So we thank you, Lord. May everyone glorify you these next couple days. Thank you for the decision that you made that makes you the reason for the season.